Hey, I'm Ben Silverio. And I'm Aaron Klein. And I'm Ansel Birch, your host in post. And, and it's time, time to party. We are not doctors and we don't give medical advice. Please drink responsibly. Welcome Hello, to Time everyone. to Party. Hi. Welcome back. <laughs> Hopefully. Ah. <laughs> uh, Welcome to Time to Party, a podcast where we take a piece of time travel media, in this case a movie, and break it down into three separate sections. One where we create a drinking and smoking game, one where we talk about the movie, review, how do we feel about it, was it actually good, did it blow, spoiler, this movie did not blow, it was very good, and then the third section where we edutain you about a piece of technology from inside of the movie. This is the second episode, we'll be reviewing the movie, so if you have not seen the movie we're talking about... Palm Springs, available on Hulu. You should go watch it right now if you care about spoilers. If you don't, listen ahead. In this episode of Time to Party, we'll be discussing the movie Palm Springs. If you have not watched it yet, I recommend that you do that if you don't like spoilers. Yes, 100%. Here is the synopsis for the movie, in case you have no idea what we're talking about. IMDb says... When carefree Niles and reluctant maid of honor Sarah have a chance encounter at a Palm Springs wedding... Things get complicated as they are unable to escape the venue themselves or each other. Aw. <laughs> that makes it sound so much more serious than it, it is. Really I really does. Like, Who I was, this? Yeah, that has so much gravitas. Like, it's a romantic comedy. It yeah. feels like the synopsis should be a little lighter. I mean, it is a movie about how they're trapped inside of a time loop, which may be hell. Who knows? It kind of feels like being trapped at a wedding you don't want to be at would be hell. (laughs) For her, especially, it feels like hell. But also, like, it's fun. It's It's a fun fun. movie. (laughs) Like I said in the uh, first episode on Palm Springs, it's it's like uh, an evolution of Groundhog Day. You know, it's uh, it's so much fun. You know? Uh, Yeah, it... It was so well written in a way that I was just not anticipating. Like, there were so many lines that I wrote down that I was just really impressed by the way that the writing moves the story. Obviously, the writing should move the story forward. But also, like, this is a very strong character piece for all three of the main characters that we meet, in addition to being a story that moves forward at a pace that doesn't ever feel like it's dragging. Yeah, uh, interestingly enough, uh, the writer, Andy Ciara, when he first wrote the first draft while he was in film school, it didn't have elements of science fiction in it. Like, apparently, really? yeah, apparently it was more like leaving Las Vegas than Groundhog Day. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That's a what? different movie. <laughs> I know, right? It, it, wasn't, it wasn't until the uh, director, um, uh, Max... What's his last name? Uh, Max uh, Barbacow. Yeah, it wasn't until he got involved that the science fiction element was really infused into the story. That's fucking wild that the director, had, the person who actually wound up directing the movie was the one who came in and was like, hey, maybe we should fundamentally change this script in like really big ways. <laughs> like, I like that, actually. It makes it... I can understand why this movie became such a... It, I'm going to use the word vision, and I don't mean it in like a, this was a vision from the Lord kind of way, but like, this was clearly a vision that they made together. Yeah. And you can, like, now knowing that that's, that the director and the writer came together to like, create this additional aspect of it, that makes a lot of sense. They yeah. seem very on the same page the whole movie. This doesn't feel like a director who's fighting against the uh, 
instincts of an author. It does feel like a cooperation, which yeah. is probably why it was so good. Absolutely. It, 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 it captures the spirit of filmmaking, which is a collaborative art, you know, and like this shows how the collaboration works in the best possible way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And also like as a piece of that collaborative pie, everyone in this was so well cast. Oh, it man. felt like there was not a single person in this movie that I was like, man, I, I think I made it like this better. This is a different character or like this was the only weak spot was this everyone was good every yes. single person felt appropriate inside of this world and felt like they would be part of this unit together like the guy who plays the dad whose name oh, i don't know peter and i Gallagher refuse to look at peter yes i phenomenal. he will always he'll always be the dad from the oc to me like oh, i grew right. up watching that show and so like he's every time i see him that is who he is to me and like he was in um oh my god uh the hide and seek movie Fuck, oh, um, ready or not? Ready or not? Yes. Which was excellent. Is a, such a great much movie. like Palm, much like Palm Springs. I was very surprised by how good the writing was, and he's excellent in that as well. And I felt like watching Ready or Not, and then watching this felt like, oh, that's right. This guy is hilarious. That's part of why he was on the OC is because that show, while a melodrama and a soap opera, is very funny, and in many ways he was a huge part of that comedic driving force. And so seeing him in this too as the dad, I thought was just chef kiss great casting it's i loved it i thought that he was great i loved watching the interactions between him and um niles the further and further you get into the story where he's like who the fuck are you why are you who are you it just felt so appropriate and like as a person who has gotten married and been part of that chaos before like oh of course there's someone there i just accepted it in the beginning that he was like in a hawaiian shirt like oh this is just your douchebag friend who shows up and like doesn't give a shit about your wedding and is just like in the way and then the more you learn about his character in the story the first time you see him in a suit i was shocked i was like wait this dude came to this wedding and was like actually in a nice suit and participated in a way like that for me helped figure out how long he had been stuck in this time loop like i thought that was a really really good piece of visual storytelling to introduce much later that he was at some point he cared and tried to actually keep going with this day in a way that he clearly abandons and i probably would too i think i would also very quickly abandon wearing like a bridesmaid's dress fuck that it's uncomfortable why would you get dressed every day knowing you have to put this horrific bridesmaid's dress on so i i understand him being like fuck this hawaiian shirt time it worked for me (laughs) well especially so considering the realization that he no doubt had at some point you know early on in his uh cycle of the, of him being cheated on yes absolutely like the person that he is he would not be at this wedding if not for that person and now that person he knows is right exactly has is cheating on him oh yeah i had to like live through that day over and over again like yeah the amount of cheating going on in this movie it's is, a lot it especially yeah. for like a wedding movie i was it's i think it was uh a smart choice honestly because i think it turns up or it like blows up that idea of a romantic comedy where everyone like Mm -hmm. there's a good guy and a bad guy and like the cheater is always the person who ends up being scorned in the end and like to have this script really uh examined that sometimes those people come to terms with that and become better people i thought was great writing that was really clever yeah i love that aspect of this like that's not only does it take the time loop trope and turn that upside down, but it also takes romantic comedy tropes and flips them around also. Mm-hmm. 
uh, which is refreshing. Yeah, I agree. Um, uh, but Peter Gallagher, so you were talking about how he's always the dad from the OC and how good he is as the dad. He was just in Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. I've heard of that, um, but have not seen it. It's an NBC show uh, that's a musical where uh, the lead character, Zoe, um, hears the music in her head of, and she sees like these grand musical numbers all around her, but they're not like actually happening. Mm-hmm. So it's like she's hearing th- the feelings of people around her in song. Oh, interesting. So that's a cool concept for a musical show. That makes sense to how yeah, to like transpose it, it into the real world. Quote quote quote. Yes, it's you know at first I was like, oh, is this just going to be like Glee? And it's it's way better. Like, uh, because Peter Gallagher's character, uh, the dad Mitch, he has this uh, this disease. Uh, where his body is essentially shutting down and he can't communicate verbally. So Zoe gets a feel of what he's feeling and thinking through song and seeing the two of them communicate is just, oh my God, heartbreaking. And Peter Gallagher's performance is just, holy crap. I love that. Um, God, the, the season finale of the first season, I... Just break down. It's so fucking sad. Oh, man. <laughs> and You're like half selling yeah, it and half uh, like, don't watch this. It's sad. <laughs> but like, I get it. Oh, but it's it's so good. You know, it's like a, a gratifying kind of sad. Like, Oh, I love a good cry. You've gone. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Like you've gone through this season and you're appreciating these characters and you really connect to them. And he does a great job of connecting with the audience despite not having much dialogue. You know, mm-hmm. all of mm-hmm. his acting is like through his body. Those are the hardest eyes. parts, for sure. Like, it's yeah. really easy to connect to a character who's speaking because you can put your your their thoughts into your own mind in a way that if you're watching a nonverbal character, it's a lot harder for people to connect with. That's awesome. I did not know that he played yeah. that he was in that or that he played that character. That's really cool. Yeah, like and like. <laughs> Like, spoiler alert, there's a moment where, you know, he he gets a few musical numbers, and uh, he's a very good singer. He's I would never have guessed that. He, <laughs> I don't know why. He just doesn't strike uh, me as a musical theater type, but I love that. Mm-hmm. Fun fact, he was in Greece and played Danny Zuko in 1978. Duh. <laughs> Fucking duh. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that makes a lot of sense. He very much has the Danny Zuko look. Like that's I did not know that and am not surprised even a little bit actually. <laughs> oh, that's really funny. God knows Time to Party <laughs> loves a griefs reference. Absolutely. Not a time travel movie. Grease. I wish that it was so that we could talk about it. One of the moments I loved most is when the sister comes out of the bride and falls and breaks her teeth and every oh my God. and the dad is calling the dentist trying to get her emergency surgery. Again, as someone who has gotten married, like that moment for me was just like, Oh my god, this is the worst thing that could possibly happen to you on your wedding is that you fall and fuck your teeth up like it just felt so perfect. There was a, uh, I don't remember who said this, but the line, this is a big day for everyone, including me, made me laugh so hard. <laughs> I think that was uh, Misty, uh, Niles' yes, girlfriend. Yes, you're right, it was. Yes. <laughs> 
we we touched God, on this a little Misty. bit, but Misty, yeah, like I thought Misty was a very interesting character, and I thought they did such a good dra- job of writing her because she is she's the villain. Like there there are several villains within <laughs> this, but like Misty is very much the main villain. It feels like like he's trapped in this relationship with her outside of the fact that they're trapped in this time loop. Like the, at one point, he tries to break up with her towards the end, and she says, I don't like you, but I don't think that we should break up, which is like, that is a nightmare to be stuck in a relationship with a person like that. Who's like, Oh, actually I don't particularly care for you at all, but how dare you besmirch my reputation by dumping me? Like, okay, well then just dump me like Mm -hmm. that. (laughs) You don't want to be here either. And you're cheating on me. Like just fucking break up with me in that, in that sense. So I thought they did a great job of writing her that way. Do you think the groom is also a low key villain? Yes. I think the groom is all, that's definitely a later reveal in the movie like he seems like a dick and you kind of are like whatever this cup it feels like the groom and the bride both suck and so they feel like equals for much of the movie until the spoiler 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 reveal that he's cheating on the bride with her sister the fucking night before the wedding then he gets very much like oh this is the this is a villain like he and misty almost feel like they deserve each other because they both suck so much like and like we were saying Mm -hmm. earlier it's such a uh a turn on its head of the concept of a romantic comedy where we're at this wedding and what we're finding out by viewing it over and over and over is that these people don't want to be together. This isn't actually the happiest day of many of their lives. Like you're getting this very real look at what happens with a lot of weddings where people agree to get married because it fits them for social reasons or because they feel like it's the right time in their life to do that. But like, don't actually love the person they're getting married to. And this movie really pokes at that, at that like elephant in the room of love as a general concept which i thought was so smart like and i love too that as niles witnesses misty cheating on him over and over and over he like accepts it and it gets to a point where he's like you deserve to be with this person like i'm not even upset about this anymore granted we're seeing him possibly hundreds of times into this day of having had to relive it too so i i like that we don't actually get a reveal about how long he personally has been stuck inside of the time loop yeah you know, uh, M- Meredith Hagner, who plays Misty, uh, cracks me up every time she says what, just because like she's so confused by what Niles is doing. Like, I love the the copycat moment where they're speaking at the same time. And then at the end, she's just like, what? And just something about her delivery of that one word makes me laugh each time. Yes. She says it a couple of times when... Um... Sarah, I think her name is. Yeah, Sarah uh, comes yeah. into their room at the beginning of the day. She's so confused about what is happening. And I love it that you get to see these two characters who are sitting outside of this situation and above it because they've been through it so many times. And what feels like a very genuine reaction to someone who's like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> like, how do you two even know each other? Like, what the fuck are you doing here? It, aren't you the maid of honor? What is happening? Like, I... If, she does such a good job of making that character seem real. She doesn't just seem like a villain to be a villain, kind of like the groom sort of feels like a villain to be a villain towards the end. She feels like a whole character who is just dumb and bad. And like you get, you can't hate her in the same way that you hate the groom because she just is this person. And like she goes from being the big bad to feeling more like a gray villain towards the end. Yeah. (laughs) When, when Sarah comes in the first time, she's like, she says to Niles, are, are you cheating on me? And he says, no, you're cheating on me, silly. 
And so then casually. She's like, what? <laughs> so casually. And you know, like that's a testament to Andy Samberg's performance. Mm-hmm. Because as we both mentioned, we don't usually like Andy Samberg. No, I don't. <laughs> like he's too much for me most of the time. And I felt like he did such a yeah. good job with the subtleties of this performance, which is like I would never have thought I would put subtle and Andy Sandberg into the same description, and yet here he is doing it in this movie. Yeah, one of the weirdest things to come out of 2020 is me finding movies by two people that I generally don't like and enjoying their performances. One was Andy Sandberg in Palm Springs, and the other was Pete Davidson in Big Time Adolescence. I've heard that that's really good. Like, mm. Yeah, both are on Hulu. Uh, you should watch big time adolescents after you watch palm springs um but like both of them are very very good at the subtle parts of these characters it really shows that they're just they're not just the the stupid kind of comedy actors you know they really have range uh when given the opportunity and i don't know i wanted to punch andy sandberg in the face less in palm springs you know yeah there were moments where i definitely wanted to punch him in the face because of what niles was doing but even inside of those moments i felt like andy sandberg did such a good job of like the reveal that they had slept together was devastating oh my like, god they, devastating they really fucking earned it and when he reveals it yep. especially in the way that he does where he's just like oh i fucked you thousands of times like it it was a testament to how much good work he had done in the rest of the movie up until this point as well, that you like believe him that he did care about this woman and like did come to love her inside of this like time loop that they're stuck together and to be pushed to this point. It felt so earned in a way I never would have expected yes. Andy Samberg to be able to pull off, to be honest. Yeah, it's it's incredible the things that he did in this movie to make me feel connected to his character when usually you know, he's just the dude who's cracking up at his own jokes. Mm-hmm. I think it was really telling that we got that scene at the very beginning where he's like hate fucking his girlfriend. And then he and then he goes through the whole wedding. He does his bit. He pulls Sarah out off to the side. He's going to have sex with her. And it's not until Roy messes up that cycle that we get this new thing. So, I mean, how many times has he played out that exact scenario that we saw at the mm-hmm. beginning? He says that too yeah. in that reveal. He's like, "All I had, all once I figured out, all I have to do is save you from this speech. Like, it it works every time. Mm-hmm. Like, how many times is every time?" And I think you're right. And it's funny because when that was happening in the beginning, that was my thought: is like, "Oh, this is a thing that he's clearly done a bunch of times." And then when he says, "We've never hooked up," I believed him because. It felt yep. like, why would... He sold it in that right. moment. He was yeah. very yep. honest about all of the other things that he had done. And so it felt like, oh, this is this was a thing that you were trying and it worked. And then Roy tried to kill you or whatever. And so that re- you're right, that reveal later of, oh, shit, that did work a lot of times. And only because Roy fucked it up in this particular way and she cared in this particular moment did she get dragged into this time loop too. Really, really fucking good writing. It's really good writing. Yes, it's incredibly good writing. Um, Which moment did you find more shocking? That Niles and Sarah had fucked before or that Sarah and Abe were fucking? Oh, man. I I think... uh, I think that she was fucking the groom. I wrote that in all caps, so I'm guessing that was the bigger reaction. (laughs) Yeah, I was pretty Ah. fucking surprised. Because at that point, she's explained, I can't do this. I cannot be stuck in this time loop. And it's clear she's really fucking upset about it. And so the realization that 
every day she wakes up in his because we've seen her wake up a bunch of times and so you get this false sense that she's alone and like perhaps that's why Mm -hmm. she's sad because she doesn't have fucking whatever and then to realize like oh you are stuck in fucking hell that would be absolutely hell to wake up with the regret of that decision every single day like no wonder she needs to leave this time loop like i think for that reason it felt like a like the bigger punch in the face (laughs) in many ways like because we also get immediately when he says we fucked thousands of times she's like well deuces bitch i'm out i have to get out of this like and she makes that decision for us of this is done and we have to move on from this that realization that she's waking up with him and then having to see her plot out like to learn astrophysics basically to free herself from this situation it felt very earned as well that that Mm -hmm. what what a horrific feeling to be stuck inside of that all the time and again it's just fucking great writing that we get these like reveals one after the other after the other about how people are experiencing this time loop even after you think that you figured it out it's just really really good writing yeah also you know the the way that the shots were planned out because i noticed the second time i watched it that there was a dude shirt in sarah's room when we first see her so the foreshadowing was great and i just didn't Mm -hmm. notice it the first time i was watching it Mm -hmm. you know but the second time you know looking around and i'm just like oh Mm -hmm. so they do kind of hint that something was going on you know well we also get that moment early on where the dad has gone looking for her and she's not in her room he's like i came by at like six in the morning she's like oh i went for a walk and at that point you think like oh well she got up because of the time loop and has been gone and then you find out oh in fact the time loop starts after this and she's in this other person's room like oh yes so brilliant it was so good yeah and, you know, we've mentioned the groom a few times, uh, Abe, played by uh, Tyler Hochelin. Hochelin? Uh, another name that I'm probably massacring. But he plays Superman in the Arrowverse. So to see oh. Superman get a fork stuck in his face was great. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. He would make a good it, Superman. It was, I can see. He has that look, he, for sure. Yes. He's a, he's a very good Superman. I, I typically don't like superman i'm not but, really into you know, superman I, either I, I see the character's value um but uh you know i i see him now after seeing him as superman i just think of him as like that that character sometimes so to see him be a douche here uh and then to see him really like understand what's going on at the end when uh sarah's giving the speech and she's like, don't fuck this up. Mm-hmm. And the interaction with their eyes is great. It's a great moment. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> his name is Tyler Hecklin. Hecklin. Really? <laughs> Man. Okay. Leave, you have to leave that in. <laughs> <laughs> I was way off. <laughs> I mean, phonetically, you made yeah, sense. That's... But yeah. <laughs> so speaking uh i mentioned the shirt in sarah's room where she wakes up well i guess Mm. it's abe's room um but another thing that i didn't catch the first time was that uh sarah and niles were on shrooms when they were in the desert uh, oh you didn't get that the first time (laughs) i didn't get that the first time and you would have thought that the dinosaurs would have been a clear indication of it but i was just like oh cool dinosaurs weird artsy desert thing but the second time around, I got that they were on shrooms, and it was Weird, just like, oh, that makes so thing. much more sense. <laughs> oh, 
it's a the dinosaurs movie. are there in the final pan, I know. though. I made a yes. I made a note of it, and I was like, I I don't totally understand the dinos. Are the is that indicating that they? I thought at first that the dinosaurs were indicating that they had died and that they didn't actually make it out of the time loop. But then that the family returns at the end makes me think that they did make it out of the time loop, and that and then seeing that scene with Roy at the end where he meets him again and realizes he doesn't know who he is makes me think that they they at least got out of the time loop whether they died or not but that's mm-hmm. what the dinosaurs made me think was the they've clearly something has happened they have moved past this time loop and are either in now limbo where these dinosaurs are or perhaps they just woke up and took mushrooms again which i think is also kind of a hilarious way to end this Very they're like we fucking made it we we're here these people start still aren't in their pool yet fuck it let's just do a bunch of mushrooms i'm like maybe that's why those dinosaurs are there and like either way i just kind uh, of accepted it <laughs> like if they died and they're in this like weird limbo heaven together that seems appropriate if they've made it out and did a bunch of mushrooms also seems appropriate <laughs> Spoiler alert, uh, we will be touching on the dinosaurs again in episode three. Yay! Oh, I'm so excited! (laughs) Fuck yeah! Uh, Do you think that the end of this film implies that there is a timeline where, because of this temporal rift, again, to get very Star Trek-y, everything from this point forward has, you know, there are repercussions to this time rift like dinosaurs walking through Palm Springs that we just, that was not the most interesting part of this story because we followed these two characters. But like after this, you know, there's still, there's still one guy in a time loop. There are dinosaurs in, in California, you know, what else is going on because of this, you know, rift that opened up uh, during the earthquake. Mm -hmm. That's, I, that's a really good point too because at one point they do kind of touch on that because he Andy Samberg Niles uh, is talking about like people go on from this day we're stuck here but there are clearly people who are going on and moving forward this from this and I read a um, when he's talking about like the the how you can get hurt and how pain still is pain even inside yep. of this like endless time loop he says pain matters what we do to other people matters and I feel like that's what that refers to. A, as well is like even though we understand that we're stuck inside this time loop our actions still have consequences that are rippling out from this event and that's what that felt like to me was them acknowledging like there are hundreds of thousands of universes that have branched out from this moment and that it made me think of like the multiverse idea of like every moment is thousands of multiverses that branch out and come back and sometimes they intersect again that's what this world felt like to me i like the idea that they released from this and one of the consequences is that there are just dinosaurs in los angeles i didn't actually take it as like a literal dinosaur but i love that idea i love like oh this the world is just like this now (laughs) now people have just accepted that dinosaurs exist here like i think that's cool speaking of people stuck in the loop uh june squib plays Abe's Nana and we touched on this in episode one is Nana stuck in the time loop I think she uh, is I really think that she's stuck she has that I line agree. I agree okay I want to hear your case and then I'll give you mine okay so uh my friend Zachary Shevich was at Sundance when this uh premiered uh he watched it he told me immediately that I would love it um, but he also got to interview uh, the director, I believe, if not the director, the writer. And he asked about June Squibb if she was in the time loop or not. 
and they wouldn't give him a straight answer. Those like, motherfuckers. They just, yeah, they just they just gave him like the sly. Oh, maybe. But like, hmm, interesting. After... I wonder if that was a decision in post of like, let's edit yeah. this in a way that is vague enough that she may be there. I like that he asked about that because that's. I I felt certain in that moment, like, because she has that line at the very beginning about his speech, and she says, I've been to more weddings than you can possibly imagine, and your speech was the best I've seen. In that moment, I took it as, of course, she's an old woman, and then even later, it was like, oh, well, if she had seen him do that speech over and over, and that particular time, she was like, this was the best it ever was, and then that's the moment that leads to this time branch, like, that makes a lot of sense, and that she then recognizes later, I guess you'll be going soon, like, it felt like... Yes, this yep. woman is totally stuck in this time loop. Like, it felt like there was just enough evidence that it felt almost undeniable. I didn't feel like you could walk away from this and feel that the Nana was not stuck in the time loop. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Nana's conversation with Sarah was what solidified it for me, that she's got to be in this time loop. Mm-hmm. And, you know, thinking about the reasons why uh, Sarah and Niles get out, I could see why Nana wouldn't want to get out. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe maybe Nana, you know, ha- has a fear of death. Like m- being in this time loop is keeping her alive at that age for an undisclosed amount of time, for infinity, even mm-hmm. for you eternity, know, and, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, the the time loop gives something different to each character. Mm-hmm. You know, Roy even says. Uh, to Niles when he goes to visit him in Irvine um, you gotta find your Irvine mm-hmm. you know that that reminds me of a fanboys where um, where they talk about you you gotta find your death star you gotta find that thing that you're chasing you know that'll that'll like make your life I guess mm-hmm. um, and each character stuck in the time loop in in Palm Springs uh, gets something different out of it mm-hmm. and if if Nana is in the time loop, then it's eternal life, essentially. And also, like, if you think of the idea of, like, a grandmother at a wedding, she probably is not having a bad time. This is, like, she gets to see her whole family in one place. She gets the to, like, dress up and have a nice time and have a nice dinner. Like, that's, that's like, grandma heaven. That does feel kind of like grandma heaven. You get your whole family around you and you get to, like, experience this love and joy of this day over and over. Kind of like Roy said. He said at the mo- in the moment that he decided to go into this cave that this is the happiest I've ever felt I wish I could live this over and over and it seems like that is actually how Nana feels that she does actually feel the joy of this day and that's part of why she wants to continue living it I'm more I'm curious about how she got stuck in the time loop like did she follow Niles out into the desert were they having like it feels like he would have said that if he had been the one to bring her into the time loop that they would have addressed it in some way but she could have just followed him or been like, I'm bored at this wedding. I'm going to wander into this desert in this one particular instance. Like, I'm really curious about how she wound up in that cave in the middle of the desert in a wedding, but I like it. I love that she could have made this decision. Like I'm, I'm here. I'm going to do, it's also possible. Like Niles mentions it in passing. Like I'm stuck in this day thinking she'll never say like, think anything about it. And she just goes out to the desert and finds it herself. And it's like, I want to live this day over and over. I like that idea. I think this allows for a reading in which Nana made the time rift. Ooh, the original point of the time rift. I like that. That she yeah. would be like, 
chill inside of that too and she starts to realize as other people are starting to like repopulate in the time loop with her i like that i think that's a really interesting that would idea be very interesting i don't know why but that just made me think of don knotts in pleasantville being that like omniscient all-knowing you know kind of controlling the situation while watching the people that they brought in to the situation change it all mm-hmm. like june squib is definitely uh well cast in that part yes you know i agree magic grandma mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah she's yes i agree i think she was very very well cast in that part we haven't really talked about J.K. Simmons in this episode. We talked about him in the first episode when we were we doing did. the drinking and smoking, but we knew we'd get yeah, around to it. Here I know. we are. Here we are. He was perfect. <laughs> we've already just we've gushed about him a ton already in this series of Palm Springs, but like J.K. Simmons is perfectly cast in this. I love the note that he wakes up in Irvine, and so that he's not there all the time. I think that's a really yeah. smart choice script-wise that gives. I love that he, that Niall says like he doesn't always show up. Sometimes he just stays home, and like that's fine. I'm interested in the back and forth of Roy having to fight with his wife the day of a wedding to be like, "You said you were gonna go to this wedding with me," and he's like, "Nah, deuces, I'm not going to this fucking wedding." Like the that that's that that fight is worth having enough times that he doesn't have to keep going to the wedding. I think is also like an interesting insight into Roy's character the further and further he gets into it. And he says too to Niles at one point, after I had to spend several days in the ICU because they didn't want me to go into a coma, I realized that what I was doing to you has consequences and that the pain that I'm inflicting on you is real and I had to stop for my own self. I thought that was a great evolution of his character that he wound up there. And again, I love that we got the bit at the end of him realizing, oh, your girlfriend called me with this crazy ass message. Who the fuck are you? I've never seen you before in my life. That light bulb for him of, oh my God, I can get out of here. just felt like such a nice little boat that they, that they tied it all together with. Yeah, because when you hear Roy say like that he won't get to see his kids grow up, that's, you know, when yeah. the emotional connection like strengthens at mm-hmm. that point, you know? So you want something good for him, even though... Up until that point, he was hunting Niles, essentially. Mm-hmm. Seeing that post credit scene at the end was, was very gratifying. I agree. Do you think Roy was actually a cop? No, I, I think he totally stole that from somebody. Mm. Like, I think he probably hijacked it from a cop, like, using his crossbow. That's kind of what I was thinking at first, too. But the fact that the cops... I don't know. I mean, I guess he's, like, tangled on the ground. He's been, like, fucked up, and so they don't really have to restrain him. But it doesn't look like the cop is trying to also arrest Roy. It it looks more like he's coming in for actual backup. That's why I was curious about how you read that. Mm. And I think it would also make sense if he was a cop, that would be a really easy way to get out of having to go to the wedding. If he was like, oh, I I have to go to work or whatever. I've decided that I have to pick up this shift. I feel like that would make it a little easier. Mm-hmm. But I also kind of love the idea that he fucking hijacked a cop at crossbow point and was like, yeah. this is mine now. <laughs> and that she realizes very quickly, like, this cop is is honest for a reason. And there's a reason that he hasn't pulled me over yet. And that moment when you realize with Niles, oh, fuck, <laughs> that's definitely Roy in that car. I thought was also really great writing. And it sets up for that reveal that that they have, in fact, fucked thousands of times at this point and you get that like next piece of that puzzle i thought it was an interesting reveal yeah you needed new high stakes exactly yeah and that was one thing this movie consistently delivered was new high stakes it never felt like artificial or that they were because that's kind of the thing with groundhog's day is a, you get to a point where it's like the the stakes just kind of have to 
keep resetting. Otherwise, why, why is he becoming a better person in the end? And it's because he falls in love with this woman and wants to be a better person, whatever. But this felt like there were external high stakes that continued to get raised every time. It wasn't just dependent on the fact that they were developing this relationship for each other and wanted to become better people. There were constantly new outside stakes raising them up that they had to keep elevating up to be better people. I just thought it was a great plot device. Several great plot yeah. devices. I, I feel like this movie is more of a uh, an, an exploration of choice and regret than Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day is about choice choosing to be happy right mm-hmm. he has to choose to be to you know make the, the thing to do the things that will make mm-hmm. him happy these people have to choose to put behind them the regret of the decisions they made before they got into the time mm-hmm. loop, right before they can break yes. out of it i made a note about um when i was watching it uh she kills herself after two days which in Groundhog Day, it takes months before he kills himself, and Niles says the same thing. It took him a really long time to start killing himself and to realize that he was stuck here, that, like, we have no... He said at one point, we have no choice but to live. And so, at first, I, I literally wrote down, she resulted to suicide in two days, have some pride. But then when you learn that she's she's like, I, I have to live with the regret of I fucked my sister's now husband every fucking day, like, I can understand why her like almost immediate thought is I I have to end it. I can't do this. I can't live with this regret. So I think that's a great point that really what she's doing is learning how to live with the regret of the choice that she's had to make over and over. Such good, right? I know I said that like a hundred yeah. times, but this is, it's just so it, well written. It works on so many levels, mm-hmm. you know, like just, it's so smart. Yeah. It's well, you know, that, that brings us to, to the last question really does Palm Springs, stand the test of time yes and i know this is a 2020 movie but i think it's safe to say that it will stand the test of time It'll i completely hold up. agree i i think they did a really good job inside the writing of writing in a way that can be timeless this is like clearly a movie that's set today contemporarily because of like the fashion and the way the the things that they do and the way that this wedding is like set up as a very 2020 wedding but even inside of that it feels timeless all of these characters feel like people you could know at any point. Like, everyone has a family that they're at least tangentially connected to that you could be like, this is, of course, this is what would happen if you were stuck in a time loop at their wedding. Like, it feels very relatable in a way that I think will age very well. I I also think that now that I'm thinking back on it, uh, we don't see them breaking out a whole bunch of 2020 tech. There's not mm-hmm. like... There's not like a significant plot point where they're like, oh, I've got a text Gary, where in 30 years when all of our texts are just going to our brain, um, that, that'll that feel weird. So I think that's you're I think that's uh, you're absolutely right. I feel like the biggest thing was her using the laptop at the diner, which that will probably mm-hmm. age differently because obviously the look and feel of our laptops will will change. But even inside of that, I thought they did a good job of picking something that was kind of like generic enough that it felt like it was appropriate to the place and time that they were set in. And so even if the technology changes enough, I don't think that that will bring it down. And the fact that she was like zooming and using, (laughs) she was like doing video conferencing with people. I feel like it was a good note towards like, we are in this kind of technological timeframe at least, which I thought was nice too. Cause if you see someone using a computer and not having that kind of technology that dates it in a way, I feel like that Mm -hmm. this at least will feel contemporary even past the time that we use that kind of video conferencing technology. I think it will give people a, uh, a timeline clue about when this was set without making it feel stuck in 2020. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Oh, I, that's it's just that's so it. Good. I, could, I mean, it's... I could just gush about how good this movie was for probably like yeah. another hour. So I feel like we should probably wrap up so that we can give people a chance to listen to our edutainment section next time. We don't burn yeah. everything. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we hope that you enjoyed this, everybody. If you'd like to join the conversation and tell us how much you loved Palm Springs, you can use the hashtag time to party. That's time, the number two, party. Uh, You can find us on the internet. I am at bsilverio20 on Instagram and Twitter. I am at nydurgency on Instagram. I'm at indecisionist on Twitter and at theindecisionist on Instagram. A huge thanks to Marlon Longit of Marlon the Shakes for our theme song and April Moralba for the podcast art. And we will see you next time for our Lazy River of Edutainment. What will we talk about? Spoiler, it's probably dinosaurs. (laughs) Probably dinosaurs. It's probably dinosaurs. It could be anything. It's dinosaurs. (laughs) (laughs) Dino DNA. All right. So until next time, be excellent to each other. Party on, dudes. Air guitar. (laughs) 